0: Listening to a sermon from Sojourn Church in Fairfax, Virginia. We hope that this is an encouragement to you no matter where you find yourself on your spiritual journey. If you're not already, we would encourage you to connect to your local church. If you'd like to find out more about Sojourn in particular, please visit our website at SojournFairfax.com. May God bless you now as you listen to the preaching of His Word. Good morning, Sojourn. It's good to be with you this morning now to open up God's Word for the preaching of His Word. My name is Justin. I'm one of the pastors here at Sojourn. And I'm just looking forward to diving into the scriptures with you this morning. Before we do that, just want to let you know that we do have some, uh, some updates coming your way soon, hopefully the next week or so, about some plans for what it looks like for us as a church to be together uh, physically again, to gather together again. So be on the lookout for those. Thank you to everyone who filled out the survey. All that information has been super helpful for us as we're trying just to discern what the best thing for us to do as Uh, as a church. So before we dive into God's word this morning, let's just pray and ask him to bless this time. So would you pray with me? God, we thank you for this time, the gift that it is that week in and week out, we have the opportunity to be together, even though we're in this kind of weird place where we're scattered, we can still be together around your word. So God, I thank you for uh, just the, the regularity of that, the rhythm of opening up your word together to learn to be confronted with different challenges and things that are going on in our own hearts and lives and to sit under the authority of your word your written word given to us to instruct us and guide us and most importantly to remind us of who you are and who we are and so god i pray now that as we dive into the scriptures god that you would open up our eyes and hearts you'd help us to see jesus clearly this morning and may you be honored may you be glorified And may you, God, use your word by the power of your spirit to transform the way we think and the way that we live. So we submit this time to you now, and we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I don't really have a a bucket list. I know some people have bucket lists, right? All these things they want to do before they die. I don't really have a bucket list, but there are some things that I'd like to do at some point in my life. And one of those things that I would really, really want to do at some point is go see the Northern Lights you guys know what the Northern Lights is? Just this kind of light phenomenon that happens in the upper part of the Northern Hemisphere uh, that's a a crazy thing. It's sometimes called an aurora. It's a disturbance in the the magnetosphere that happens when the solar winds kind of stir up in that part of the world. And it's an amazing thing. Maybe some of you have actually seen it in person. I'm sure a lot of us have at least seen pictures of it. Those kind of dancing green, sometimes pink lights that look like they're just kind of hanging in the sky. And I have a, an Apple TV, and one of the screensavers for the Apple TV is a picture of the Northern Lights, a, a video of the Northern Lights, and I could just sit and stare at it forever. I mean, it is a mesmerizing kind of thing. Just to look at it on a screen, I can only imagine what it'd be like to actually go and sit there in person. I don't know if I could go to sleep. I think I would just want to sit all night and watch the Northern Lights in the sky. It's, it's mesmerizing to me. But light is kind of like that for us, right? I mean, we can see how light affects us, whether it's a a beautiful display of Christmas lights or the ambience of a certain room. Lighting has an effect on us. It can change our mood. It can affect the way that we feel at times and make a big difference. Well, today we're diving into John chapter 8, and what we see in this text is Jesus talking about light. We've been in this seeing Jesus sermon series now for a few months. and the, the goal of this sermon series, the point of why we're walking through this is that we're striving to see Jesus rightly so that we might follow Him fully. And so as we dive into John 8 this morning, we see that Jesus makes a reference to light. and it too, what he says here is mesmerizing to me. It, it affects me. It draws me in to who Jesus is. And I hope it'll do the same thing for you this morning. But, as we'll see, not everyone is drawn to the words of Jesus. The religious leaders, as they often have been, as we've been walking through the Gospel of John, hear Jesus' words, they see what Jesus is doing as he speaks to them, but they once again miss what Jesus is saying. They miss the invitation that Jesus gives to them, and they focus in on the wrong things. It's like they've gone up to Fairbanks, Alaska, one of the best places in the world to see the Northern Lights, and instead of looking up at the Northern Lights and being just captivated by them, that the amazing reality of what they are, instead they focus on the glow or the reflection of a gas station sign reflecting off some dirty snow, and they aren't really impressed with it. They aren't impressed with Jesus. But I don't want that for you. I want you to not be unimpressed by Jesus today or any day. I want you to be impressed by him. I want you to be captivated by who Christ is and what he says about himself, because what Jesus says here, it's majesty in the midst of the mundane. He's speaking into this, this idea that he is the inextinguishable light that shines in the midst of darkness, which means that what Jesus says here is a matter of life and death. It's a matter of freedom Or captivity for yourself and for the world around you. And so whether you're checking out who Jesus is this morning or or you've called yourself a a Christian for a really really long time, I want all of us to look to Jesus with fresh eyes this morning, to see him for who he truly is, to be captivated by the inextinguishable light that Jesus says that he is. So let's dive into John chapter 8 this morning. and May we all see Jesus more clearly today. As you just heard, our text this morning is John chapter eight, verses 12 through 30. Now, if you've been tracking with us through this sermon series, series sermon series, you might've realized that we skipped over uh, preaching John 7, 53 through 8, 11. And I And I sent an email out to our church this week. We posted it on our blog about why we're doing that. And so if you missed that, go check out our blog. You can see uh, why. Let me know if you have any questions about that. And if you don't receive our emails, shoot me a note so that we can add you to our email list as a church. But what happens here in chapter eight, all of chapter eight that we're gonna look at, uh, is really a continuous conversation, a continual dialogue that Jesus is having. He's having with the Pharisees, the religious leaders, and this observing crowd that's around him. And we're going to break it up into two different sections. Today, we're going to look at, like I said, verses 12 through 30. And then next week, we're going to look at verses 31 through 59. And and what this text does in chapter 8 is kind of a one-two combo, knockout kind of punch of truth about who Jesus is. Last time we were in John, we saw that Jesus was at this feast It's called the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles. And it's this celebration that the Jewish people came to Jerusalem every year to commemorate, to celebrate God's provision for them, particularly when God's people were walking with him in the midst of the wilderness. And Jesus has made some pretty bold statements about himself. He said that he is the source of living water and that if anyone is thirsty, they can come to him and drink and that when they do, when they drink deeply from Jesus, that rivers of living water will flow out from them. Jesus once again is declaring or was declaring that he is the fulfillment of everything that this festival is all about, the point and purpose of it in both remembering God's kindness and faithfulness to his people and all that this festival anticipates of God's future faithfulness. And so the people hear Jesus' words and they, they're debating once again who Jesus is. Some people believe, some people question, and some people just flat out disagree And so when we skip over verses 1 through 11 and jump to verse 12 and read the words, look at verse 12 again say, And again, Jesus spoke to them. We have to see this as a continuation of the conversation that he's been having with this crowd and with the religious leaders. And When we tie Jesus' words here to what he said in John chapter 7, verses 37 and 38, it's significant. So here's what I want to do this morning. I want to unpack what Jesus says here in verse 12. And then I want to look at the the Pharisees' response and rejection of Jesus. And then I want to look at what our response is to what Jesus says. So let's look at what Jesus says in verse 12. Let me read it for us again. It says, And again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Something that John draws out in his gospel, this account of Jesus' life and ministry, are uh, what some scholars have called the seven I am statements that Jesus makes. There are seven different points throughout the gospel of John where Jesus says, I am something. And we've seen one of those already. In John chapter 6, verse 35, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Here he says, I am the light of the world. This is the second of the seven. And next week, we're going to see why using that phrasing of I am is so significant when Jesus speaks about himself. But this idea here that Jesus says, I am the light of the world, is not a new theme. John has already introduced this theme of light in his gospel. In John chapter one, verses four and five, John writes, the apostle John writes, speaking of Jesus, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness Has not overcome it. So, what Jesus says here about himself fits very closely with what John has already declared about Jesus at the very beginning of his gospel account. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. What he says here is huge, not only for his present company, but for you and for me as well. Remember what's going on here. This is taking place at the the end of the Feast of Booths, which is full of symbolism of God's past faithfulness and hope for his future faithfulness. At the end of this festival, something unique took place. There was actually a lighting ceremony and celebration that involved dancing and singing and celebrating God's provision for them. And it kind of wrapped up this festival, lighting these big uh, flames in these different cauldrons of, of fire and these candelabras, this lighting ceremony where God's people would celebrate. They would celebrate all of God's faithfulness that he had shown to his people in providing food for them and water and his presence, but also that when they were walking through the wilderness, God led his people by a pillar of fire when they were walking in the midst of the darkness. He lit their way for them in the midst of darkness. But that's not the only place that we see light as being significant in God's word. Throughout the Old Testament, the language of light is used over and over again. Light of God shining in the darkness is all over the place. We could go back to the very beginning. When God creates all of creation, it says that the word of God goes out, he speaks, and light shines in the darkness. Let there be light, and it comes to be. But then when Adam and Eve rebel against God, when they rebel against God and his good design, when they say, I want to go my own way, I want to do my own thing, God, I don't need your authority, I am my own authority, All of creation was fractured, that relationship was broken and the darkness of their sin reigned over the world. The darkness of their sin reigned over their own life that resulted in their hearts and their minds being darkened. But that wasn't the end of light breaking into darkness. On the heels of their rebellion, God promised rescue. He said that the seed of Eve would crush the head of the serpent in sin that separates us from God. And so what we see throughout the scriptures from beginning to end is this story of God pursuing his people. This story of God pursuing the rescue of a humanity. So prophet after prophet, writer after writer, both convict God's people of their continued rebellion and continue to point God's people to their greatest hope, that a Redeemer would come, that light would once again break into the darkness. I mean, listen to some of these promises that we see in the Old Testament. In Isaiah chapter 42, we referenced Isaiah 42. Last week, the beginning of Isaiah 42, it talks about this rescuer who will come, the Messiah, the promised one who will bring justice to all nations. But in verses six and seven in Isaiah 42, it says this, speaking of this future rescuer, It says this, God speaking, I am the Lord. I have called you, you, this future rescuer and Messiah in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people. Listen to this, as a light for the nations. To open the eyes that are blind. To bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. Then in Isaiah chapter 60, verses 19 through 20, it says this, The sun shall be no more your light by day, nor for brightness shall the moon give you light. But the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your God will be your glory. Your sun shall no more go down, and your moon withdraw itself, for the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your days of mourning shall be ended." And then Psalm 27, verse 1 says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Now, God's people at this point in time as Jesus is speaking to them would be super familiar, especially the religious leaders, would be super familiar with the the text of Isaiah that I just read. The people of Israel Israel would regularly sing and rest in and come back to the truth of Psalm 27.1, that the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? What Jesus is saying here when he says, I am the light of the world, is this is me. I am all of those things. I am the fulfillment of all of these promises of guiding light and protecting light and rescuing light and restoring light. I am the light of the world. When Jesus says this, he says, I'm the light of the world and when you follow me, you'll no longer walk in darkness. When you follow me, everything will change for you. You are set free from the bondage you have because of your sin, the slavery that you have because of your sin. Your mind and your heart that once were darkened by your rebellion, darkened by your sin, are now illuminated to see God rightly and in seeing God rightly to worship him fully with the wholeness and the totality of your life. See, all of this is found in and through Jesus. To be able to see God for who he is, to worship him, to live for him, all of it comes about because Jesus is the light of the world. And when you know Jesus, when you believe in and on Jesus, when you follow him in your life, everything changes for you. And this is a life-altering statement, not only for Jesus' immediate audience that he's speaking to, but for you. But the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they once again miss this invitation that Jesus gives to them to follow him, to see the light that the scriptures have promised for hundreds of years, to see it fulfilled in him. And instead, they question Jesus' authority, and they question Jesus' purpose. So let's look at their response and their rejection. Verse 13 says, so the Pharisees said to him, this is right after Jesus has said, I am the light of the world. So the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. See, they don't even think Jesus has the, the right. They don't think Jesus has the ability to testify about who he is. But Jesus says he often is, is gentle but firm in his response to them. He's gentle in his response. He doesn't get frustrated with their diversion, but he quickly dismantles it. He responds to them by saying, "Well listen, even if I do bear witness about myself, what I say is true, because I know who I am and I know where I come from. But here's the problem with you that he says in verse 15, is that you guys, you judge according to the flesh. You, you look at outward appearances. They're looking at Jesus. they're kind of sizing him up by looking at the way that He looks and the way that He speaks and knowing where He comes from in an earthly sense. and they judge Him by the flesh. But judging by the flesh also means that they judge him with a darkened mind. They don't have the ability to understand who Jesus really is because sin has so infected their thinking and their heart and everything that they can't see him. They're tainted by sin as they focus on themselves. Jesus responds and says, I don't judge like you do, though. My judgment is true, but more important than all of that is that my Father testifies to who I am, and he is true but the Pharisees miss it all again. They they evidence their fleshly judgment because they ask in verse 19, well, who's your father? Where is he? Jesus bluntly and directly responds to them. Look at the end of verse 19. He says, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. As one author puts it, The Pharisees' rejection of Jesus' claim to be the light of the world is, at base, the answer that people always make. They always make when they don't want to be convinced of something. I think we've heard language like this before. Someone could hear something and they say, I I don't see it that way. No, I don't don't see it that way. The evidence isn't sufficient to convince me of anything. I mean, we see that going on in our culture and our world right now, right? so many areas of our life that we're tempted to reject or we do just outright reject something, mainly because we decide we don't want to be convinced. I mean, that's, We live in this cancel culture right now, right? Like if I don't like something, then I'm going to cancel on it and I'm going to reject it and not actually consider whether or not it is true or not. But here's the crazy thing about what Jesus is saying. He says, I am the light of the world. And here's the deal with light. Light establishes its claim and it does so without arguments right? I mean, when light shines in the darkness, we don't have to wonder if light is present. It's there. It's right in front of us. And we see it. And so it doesn't need to be convinced. It doesn't need to convince us of anything in order to be accepted. It doesn't matter if the person that's blind to light or has their eyes covered up rejects light or not. The light testifies to itself because it is light. And that's what Jesus is doing here saying, you guys reject me, you're blind to me, but I am light, look at who I am and what I say and what I do. My presence shines into the darkness. But Jesus continues to press in and on those that are blind, that are standing and around him. He continues to show them their need for him to actually and indeed be light, the light of the world and in their own life so they can experience freedom and life. Look at verses 21 through 24. So he, meaning Jesus, said to them again, I am going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself since he says where I am going, you cannot come? And he said to them, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins." This is a really strong statement. Many people in our world right now don't like to talk about sin and the result and the consequences of sin. It makes us sometimes feel uncomfortable. And so Jesus' words here were challenging to the Pharisees then. They're challenging to us today. And Jesus says, I'm going away. Where I'm going, you can't come, speaking to these Pharisees, these religious leaders, but they, they still don't get it. And he says, unless you believe that I am who I say I am, then you also will die in your sin. Now, the Pharisees have many sins. We have many sins. We rebel against God in so many different ways, following after other things, worshiping other things, walking in disobedience to the clear commands of Scripture that God gives to us. But ultimately, all of our sin is rooted in unbelief. All of it's rooted in unbelief that we act and live and think in certain ways because we don't believe Jesus is who he says he is. We don't believe God is who he says he is. The same thing is true for the Pharisees, that they don't want to believe. They're unable to see Jesus for who he is, to follow him in his good ways of hope and offering them freedom. so Jesus points this out in saying that they are of this world. It's similar to judging by and according to the flesh. They're, they're humanistic in their thinking. They're myopic in their view of Jesus. They kind of a focus in on this one little narrow slice of who Jesus is instead of seeing the big picture. All the scriptures testify that he is the promised one that would come and give them rescue. They miss, they miss the supernatural reality of who is standing right in front of them. The very word of God who is a lamp to their feet and a light into their path. To lead them, to lead you and me to the way of salvation. And see, their response once again evidences their need for Him. Their response once again evidences the fact that they continue to reside in darkness. Verse 25, they ask a very simple question, but profound question Who are you? Who are you? This is the question that all of us need to ask and all of us need to answer Who is Jesus? And Jesus' response is what we need to continue to be reminded of as well. All he says to them is, I am who I've been telling you I am since the beginning. I am the bread of life. I am the source of living water. I am the light of the world. And he's gonna continue to unpack that for us throughout the Gospel of John and tell us exactly who he is. But in this moment, what Jesus says to them is, listen, you don't get it now. You don't see who I am now, but one day in the not too distant future, everything's gonna click for you. Look at verse 28. Verse 28, Jesus says, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. See, the full disclosure of who Jesus is will take place when He's lifted up. And Jesus is foreshadowing His death. He's looking forward to the coming cross where He would be crucified as a substitute for sinners like you and me. But he's also referencing the fact that he will be lifted up and once again will dwell with the Father, sitting at the right hand of God to rule and reign over all of creation. He's telling his audience, pay attention, pay attention and you will see. See, the Pharisees and the Jews that are standing around are blind to who Jesus is and what Jesus provides. They're blind to light that comes in the midst of the darkness. They're blind to the opportunity for freedom, for rescue, They're blind to the invitation to experience real life. What about you? Are you seeing Jesus rightly? Is Jesus just a a good teacher for you? Is he someone who's an add-on to your life? Or is he the light of the world in your life? How do we respond to who Jesus says that he is? See, for this audience, the cross was in the future. They hadn't yet experienced that. But for all of us, the cross has already happened, it's taken place in the past, and so you and I can look back, and we can look back and see that Jesus did indeed need to die for us, to be a substitute for us, to take on the wrath of God, to stand in our place to take the punishment for our sin, in order for us to be set free and to experience relationship with God, so that God could be both the just and the justifier making a way for redemption to take place, making a way for reconciliation and restoration to take place. You and I can also look back and see the gloriousness of the resurrection, that Jesus is indeed alive and that he is ruling and reigning with the Father, that what he said about himself here in this text in John chapter 8 is true. And because this is true, we can know that his promise to come again and make all things new is true as well. Friends, there's a day coming There's a day coming when there will be no more sin and no more suffering. There'll be no more brokenness. There'll be no more injustice. There'll be no more racism. There'll be no more abuse. There'll be no more division. There'll be no more unbelief, no more anger, no more apathy, no more hate, no more false worship. There will be a day that will come when there'll be no need for sun or moon because the glory of God will shine so brightly over everywhere and everything that there'll be no need for light because the light of the glory of God seen in the person of Christ will shine everywhere. And this isn't something to put on a bucket list for you. This isn't something that you can say, well, hopefully one day I'll get to see that. No, it's a sure reality, a promise and a guarantee that will come to fruition because Jesus says it will and we can trust in him because God says it will happen and God is always faithful to his word. But are you believing that right now? Are you living in that hopeful reality today of what will come in the future? See, the Pharisees, they responded in further unbelief. But what about you? How are you responding to Jesus's claim to be the light of the world? As one scholar puts it, the light is still in mortal combat with darkness. The light is still in mortal combat with darkness. There's so much difficulty in darkness all around us. I mean, 2020 has been a banner year for us to understand that, right? whether it was the coronavirus and all that's come with that, the difficulty and challenges and death, or everything that's happened over the last few weeks when there's been protests for racial injustice and we've seen just the brokenness of this history of our country that exists, but also the brokenness and things like rioting and looting and, and further death and destruction that are taking place. There's so much around us that reminds us that darkness is ever present. But it's not just out there. Darkness also resides within us. Because you and I, whether we call ourselves a follower of Jesus or not, are tempted to and toward unbelief, to reject God, to chase after other things besides Him. And I would say that most often that temptation is present for us, not in the, the crazy moments of life, but in the mundane moments of life. We're going about our week, doing our work, being at home, maybe alone by ourselves, dealing with our kids and all that's going on in our homes, or the laundry that's piling up, or the other things that are just happening, it's in those mundane moments that we're most tempted to not believe in the goodness and loving kindness of our God, to not believe that Jesus is still the light of the world. For those of you that have placed your faith in Jesus, who believe in Him and on Him, who are saying, my only hope is in Him, freedom has been given to you. Freedom has been given to you. And Jesus is actually going to speak to that more in the text that we're going to look at next week the reality is, for you and for me, is that we are often tempted to toy with darkness. We're tempted to toy with darkness. We dip back into it and we hang out. We kind of go back in that jail cell of our sin and and even though the doors open and the shackles have been broken, we put them back on and we sit in that same corner of darkness. You know, the weird and interesting thing about darkness is that when we enter back into that darkness, those dark places, time seems to disappear. You know, actually in, in places like Las Vegas where these casinos are all over the place, there's no windows anywhere. And the carpet is set a certain way so that our, we don't really want to look down. We don't really know what time of day it is. That's very intentional. They don't want you to know how long you've been there. And so they kind of keep you holed up in that place so you can spend hours and hours and hours in this particular place, spending your money, losing your money probably most of the time. That's what happens when we dip back into darkness. We lose track in a sense of time of how long we've been away from following Christ. And we continue to fuel our flesh and those false ideas of who God actually is. So we need to be reminded today, we need to be reminded every day that Jesus shines brightly into the midst of the darkness. Paul talks about this reality, this battle that we can all experience in Ephesians chapter 5. Listen to his words. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 7 through 14, Paul says this, Therefore, do not become partners with them. Now he's referring to those who don't believe and are seeking to kind of go their own way. Do not become partners with them, for at one time you were darkness. This is who you used to be before you knew Christ. At one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Paul saying, walk in the light. Walk as children of light so that you can discern what is right and good and true in the midst of the darkness that exists around you. But then he says this, Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. See, when Jesus says whoever follows him will not walk in darkness, this is a a call to a continual following that we constantly need to follow after Jesus, continuing to walk in the light of who Jesus is because the light of Christ is the only thing that can cut through darkness in our world and cut through darkness in our life. And so when Jesus says this, this is not some abstract thing. This is a matter of survival. Psalm 36.9 says, For with you is the fountain of light. In your light do we see light. Friends, Jesus is here and he is continually leading you out of the darkness of unbelief. Continually leading you out of the darkness of unbelief to see our triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit, who is gracious and kind and loving and merciful, who's unchanging, who's eternal, who's all-powerful and all-knowing and ever-present. When Jesus leads you out of the light of the darkness, you can see God for who he truly is in all of his beauty, in all of his majesty, in all of his glory. So whether it's personal darkness that you're experiencing right now, or community darkness maybe happening in the relationships that you have, or societal darkness, or global darkness, the answer is and always will be the same. Arise, awake, O sleeper. Rise and walk with Jesus, the light of the world. Now, this doesn't mean that we are passive in our pursuit of this. It doesn't mean that we just kind of sit on our hands and don't do anything in the midst of our own life in the midst of the world around us and all the brokenness that we experience. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus actually calls us the light of the world. Now, why would Jesus call us the light of the world when here in John 8, he says that he is the light of the world? Here's why. Because when you are transformed, when you are transformed by the love and light of Christ, you become reflectors of that light. You become reflectors of that light called to shine forth in the midst of the darkness but we have to remember something about that you have to remember that any light in your life is derived light it's derived light you have no source of illumination from within yourself on your own that wasn't given to you it's it's like a power cord we can have lights on around us right a lamp in our home or something like that in order for it to work it has to be plugged in It needs to be connected to the power source in order to be able to actually shine forth. And the same thing is true for you. There's no way that you are going to be able to shine light into the darkness of this world. There's no way you're gonna be able to shine light and walk in the light in your own life if you are not abiding in Christ, if you're not connected to Jesus. You can do nothing apart from Him. We are light only because of Jesus. To have light is to have Jesus. There's no light apart from Him in a right relationship with him, and walking closely with him. So are you striving to do that? Are you staying connected to Jesus? Where does the light of Jesus need to shine right now in your own life? Where does the light of Jesus need to shine in the midst of community or your family, maybe with your spouse or your kids or your roommates? Where does the light of Jesus need to shine in the midst of our church, in the midst of sojourn with your community group or the larger body of Christ that we that calls itself sojourn church. Where does the light of Christ need to shine in our society, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in the community around us? And there's so much brokenness that is being highlighted right now. Where does the light of Jesus need to shine? Where does the light of Jesus need to shine globally with the millions of men and women and children that don't even know who Christ is, that darkness reigns over them because they don't know the hope that they can have in Christ? Where does the light of Jesus need to shine? Listen, deep-rooted, lasting change in any of the spheres and places of life, life where brokenness and darkness exist, any real and lasting change will only take place when hearts of stone are replaced with hearts of flesh, hearts of flesh that have the law of God written on them and beat for the praise of his name. Friends, Jesus is not from below. He's not from below. But you know what? Jesus is not also not on the left and he's not on the right. Jesus is from above, and he now is the lifted up one. He is the light of the world, and his light will never dim. It will never go out. It is not extinguishable. It will never be overcome. It will never be quenched. Jesus shines like a lighthouse in the dark, tumultuous waves of life. So don't despair. Don't sink in the midst of distress. Look to Jesus. Follow Jesus. There is safety and rescue in the safe harbor of Jesus in his kingdom. May all of us be captivated by the inextinguishable light of Christ today and every day. Let's pray. Jesus, we pray and we ask for you to help us. We pray and we ask that you would help us to see you for who you are. Jesus, will you shine brightly in the midst of our lives? Will you shine in the depths and the dark places of our own thinking and our own false worship in our hearts? Will you shine brightly in those places and will you also shine brightly to the ends of the earth that you would bring about real transformation in our church community, that you bring about, bring about real transformation in our national community, in our society, that you bring about real transformation to the ends of the earth. Jesus, will you show us once again that you are indeed the light of the world, the inextinguishable light of God. And we pray that you'd help us to walk with you in that. Wake us up. Wake us up from places of unbelief. Wake us up for where we've dipped back into darkness and call us out again. Help us to shine brightly for you and to walk faithfully with you. Jesus, we thank you that you have died in our place to rescue and redeem us, that you rose again from the grave and that we can trust in the promise that you give us that one day you will come again to make all things new. Until that day, help us to focus on you, to abide in you and may you be glorified. We thank you for your grace and your love, oh God, and we pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. Love you all. Grace and peace to you. Thank you so much for listening to this sermon from Sojourn Fairfax. If you have any questions, please feel free to email us at info Go in peace.